It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Tuesday afternoon. Kevin Kincaid coming at you. We've got Rush Joy from Crossing Broad. We've got Baxter the dog. Uh, my daughter Cameron is downstairs somewhere, uh, probably asleep. And Russ, I have to ask you, who is the hottest team in the world right now? Is it Liverpool Football Club or your Philadelphia Union? To hell with Liverpool Football Club. It is your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union. Is that a good game? Of, is that a Game of Thrones? Or is no, that no, a Manchester let's, go like a Jer- let's go for a little Jeremy Clarkson there. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Um, yes. So it's your Philadelphia Union who thrashed uh, the New England Revolution 6-1. to one, And they now have a goal differential of plus 10. They have six wins. They are top of the table uh, in the Eastern Conference on tiebreak scenarios. That still hold true as of today. I believe it does hold true as of today. Toronto FC plays tomorrow. And, uh, Russ, the theme of the podcast today uh, is going to be just positivity, I think. because I mean, And we did a podcast last year entitled It's Always Positive in Philadelphia. And I think that's when they were winning, when this team was winning in the middle of last year. Uh, but they're winning at the beginning of this year. So my opening question to you is how much stock can we put into this early start and how good really is this team? Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, I want to apologize to everybody who's listening right off the bat. They were expecting some really good soccer content and analysis, and they got a bad impression about like a minute in. So that's uh, that's setting the that's bar okay. high. You, can, you have to start. You, you only get better from there. You know? I was getting ready to pull up the soundboard that we're using over on Crossing Broadcast, but I, I chose not to. Um, <laughs> the the question of, you know, is this something that the that is impressive and is it something that you can believe in? It, it kind of is right now. Um, Probably the most encouraging thing is we know what this union team is and has been in its history, and that's a team that starts incredibly incredibly slow, gets hot in the middle of the summer, and then the wheels come off at the end. The fact that they've been able to put together, you know, they've been able to string together some positive results. They're five one and zero at, at home. Their road mm-hmm. record's a little bit iffy, but the fact that they're they're one, taking advantage, two, yeah, yeah, the yep. fact that they're taking advantage at home is the biggest thing. They have the most wins in the Eastern Conference. As a matter of fact, if you take the second and third team in the table, that's DC United and Montreal Impact. Um, they have as many wins combined at or as, at home as DC and Montreal do combined uh, at their home stadiums. So, I mean, um, the the way you look at it, I think is it's a positive. It's it's somewhat surprising, um, but this team, oddly enough, has depth. They've been able to overcome some yep. pretty massive injuries. If you told anyone before the season that Marco Fabian was gonna was gonna be up for um, you know different stretches of time, whether it was you know red card or if it was uh, you know injury. If you had told somebody that Andre Blake was going to miss time, you know, he probably would have chalked up a, a bunch of L's here. But they've they've been impressive. They have been, and uh, yes, when you win your games at home and you make your home arena a fortress, uh, that's the formula to get you into the playoffs. You know, I mean, the the 2011 Philadelphia Union team lost like one game at home that entire year. Uh, they only had 11 wins on the year, but they had a ton of draws. Uh, so they were turning points uh, where they should, and. You know, let me back it up, I guess, for a minute here. After the um, the Cincinnati win, after the midweek win, uh, you know, of course, everybody's jumping at the at the opportunity to say the Philadelphia Union are in first place, they're top of the table. I guess it should be like that, that, that is something that we've been waiting to say for the longest time now. So, you know, nobody should poo-poo that or whatever. And I think some people got upset when I pointed out that Toronto has a better points per game right now, and it wasn't like to say hold your horses, the Philadelphia Union suck. That's not what it was at all. It was just that was sort of mutually exclusive to what the Union were doing. It was just kind of me pointing out that, 
look, Toronto's played three fewer games in the Union right now. You know what I mean? So early in the season, just because of the way that it is with the CONCACAF Champions League and the way that the schedule gets squeezed, you know, some teams are on totally different game totals than others. Like normally it's not going to matter if you're playing in the Premier League and one team is on 27 games and then another team is on 26. Like it's very easy for them to say, okay, they got one game in hand, but it's very weird to see three games in hand. You know what I mean? Like that only happens in MLS. So when I was saying that with, with Toronto, I wasn't trying to like say, well, the union aren't that great, or I'm not like trying to pour cold water on their success or whatever. Like I believe that the union are a very good team. And additionally, I want to point out that if you go by PPG right now, Toronto, you can make a case to say that they are the better team because they have taken more points from their total games than the union have. So I don't know. Um, the best part about it, Ross, obviously is that those two teams play this weekend. So we're going to find out what they're all made of. And you could say, yeah, Toronto beat the union in, in week one, but I don't know how much week one really matters for anything. Uh, but if I'm going to say that, then I'm, am I going to say, okay, well, does 10 games in really matter too? So I don't know. What was your, what was your take on the, on the Toronto thing? Was I, was I being uh, negative? Was my timing off on that? Should I have let people just enjoy it? Breaking news. Kevin Kincaid, once again, called negative. By Philadelphia sports fans. Yeah. Um, look, I, th I think there's... there's <laughs> that, your Tony, easy way to... that was your Tony Bruno? 610. Yeah, like, look, there's there's a very easy way to look at this. And I think, for the most part, it's just that, like, I, I get what you're saying. Um, and, and you're right. And it, it's something that we talk about a lot, uh, like Anthony and I will talk about with hockey. Like, you get a game in hand, and it feels like everybody in the world just is not able to conceptualize what a game in hand really means. And, yeah, like, having two in hand, especially, like, as you're chasing a playoff spot at the end of the season you know nobody ever seems to want to talk about that um I, I get what you're saying like yeah toronto you know points per game of course they're ahead of the union they're they're the best in the east um they're only i think they're third in the entire mls behind houston i want to say the galaxy and lafc yeah those teams all have yeah those are the only three teams that have a ppg better than two and toronto's sitting on two right now and the union are at one eight one point eight two I didn't know there was going to be a math portion here, but but we're trying. Oh, that's um, not too much, is it? No, but I, I get what you're saying. But I think, you know, let's let's be a little bit positive here, all right? I mean, they, they might have played three games more, um, but it, it's still it's still a good sign, Kevin. It's well, okay. Toronto, and then Toronto okay, has to go okay win. It's okay to mention the fact that the Union <laughs> are the top of the table. They are. And that Toronto could theoretically yeah. lose all of these other games, right? They could well, lose those three yeah, games. I mean, games in then, hand don't mean you, shit if you don't. And you come yeah. off of your, uh, your elitism, your, your elitist <laughs> mentality? That's me, yeah. Stop making excuses for the Canadians, Kevin. Here's the thing. At the end, so Toronto plays the Union midweek, or I'm sorry, they play Atlanta midweek, and then they play the Union on Saturday. And then if the Union beat them, then each team has uh, a win at the other team's place, and the Union will have the better uh, points total. So I don't think I think the Union have a chance to defeat that narrative if that narrative is popping up from other people. Um, but I think I think the point I'm trying to make is that. I think like nationally you see you see that creeping up a little bit. Like you can write the narratives in many different ways with MLS to to say whatever you want to say, you know what I mean? You could say Philadelphia Union are technically at the top of the table. It says number 1 next to them right now. It says 20 points, 1.82 points per game. Uh it says 21 goals for, 11 goals against. It says 10 plus 10 goal differential. Now you could say, okay, well the 3 of their 6 wins are against two of the worst three worst teams in the league you know you could say since they beat cincinnati twice cincinnati just fired their coach you could say they beat new england who are terrible 
But then how do you, you know, those people who craft that narrative, some of the national people who are saying they didn't beat anybody, how do you explain Montreal three, nothing, you know, how do you explain the great comeback win against Dallas? You know, I don't know how you, like, how exactly are you supposed to hold it against the team? They're, they they go out and they beat the teams they're supposed to beat. That's yeah. not something you can usually yeah. say about the union. Like, yeah. you know, you can't just continue to say that this team hasn't beaten anybody. Like, you could. I guess you could if you want to be miserable. But, like, you play the teams that you're going to play. Now, I I think this will be an interesting matchup to see how they respond to Toronto. I mean, remember, they, they opened their season against Toronto in that game. Uh, yeah, the Harris Madunian no didn't, defense game didn't yeah. go well. Yeah. So who's been, I mean, he's if, been much better in that department lately. So go figure. You know, if if you're able to rebound, if you're able to come out and avenge that and do it at Toronto, then I think it, it puts the whole Eastern Conference really on notice that yeah. that you're a legitimate team and that you know you know look at their goal differential. They're they have the second best goal differential in the league now. Was yeah. that padded because they put up six on New England? Yeah, of course. Like absolutely. But you play the teams that you're going to play, mm-hmm. and as long as you're able to put them away, and you and you do it in a pretty dominating fashion, like there's there's not a whole lot you can if say you until look, if, this team faces tougher competition. You could say that the game against LA was it a week and a half, two weeks ago. Yeah, like that that was a disappointing result, right? Like I guess if if you wanted to be a naysayer for um, for what the Union are, you could point out the fact that you know they went on the road to the Galaxy, and and the Galaxy are good, they're very good, but. You know, you could you could say that against a, a top flight team like the Galaxy, the Union just barely showed up to play for that one. Fine, but then how did they rebound? Right? They they shut out Montreal. Yeah, beat the crap out of Montreal. They yeah. get a result on the road against Vancouver, and then they come home and they and they smack two teams that they need to smack. Yeah. So I, you know, I in the past, you know, the Union go out, have a bad result, and then all of a sudden they can't get anything going, and they start to play down to their competition. In this case, this this group has been resilient, and they're doing exactly what a good team is supposed to do, so hats off. Yeah, you know, it's weird. On a macro level, it makes me wonder, like, if people are buying in or not, or how much of, like, collapses in the past have kind of, like, made the fan base wary. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of, like, optimism, of course, as there should be. I feel like a lot of it is cautious, optimism you know I, th- I think some people seem like kind of hesitant to jump to jump back on board with two feet because they don't want to be let down again you know what i mean they don't want to be burned again they don't want to throw all their support behind the team and then see like the inevitable open cup final collapse or first round playoff loss or squeaking in as a sixth sixth seed or something like that but how much of that too is like a self-fulfilling prophecy where if you think the union are going to fail they're going to fail and is it just best to say hey this we haven't seen this often enough let's just throw all of our support behind this team let's get behind them let's fill the river end uh let's fill the regular seats in the stadium you know how much how much of that is how much of this do you think is people who feel kind of a hangover from the last couple of years and maybe they aren't buying in 100% because of what happened in the past. I think it's hard to uh, distance yourself from what the past of this team is. I mean, unless you're a brand new fan or you're brand new to the city or you're brand new to MLS, it, it's very hard to look at this in anything other than a jaded way. Um, it, you know, I've, I've coworkers who are huge union fans and they will continue every year. They're like Flyers fans. They'll come back and they will believe that the Philadelphia Union are going to, you know, use their low money signings to somehow upend the Eastern Conference and, and make it into the playoffs and try to get home field. And I think, you know, they're obviously oblivious to the way that things work and the way that the team has worked in the past. And, and I can understand people being skeptical. I myself was pretty skeptical. But, you know, you've, you've seen some things that I think are really encouraging. As I mentioned, like they were able to overcome some injuries. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, more than anything else, and I know you wanted to get to this a little bit later, but like, Corey Burke 
being out of the lineup now for what should be an extended period of time, to me, is a blessing in disguise. I'm not a huge Corey Burke guy. I'm not sure that he's much more than a um, a Bethlehem Steel kind of player. Maybe a guy that you can bring on to your your, uh, your 18, but not somebody that you should rely on. And by Sergio Santos getting healthy, and what's he calling himself now? Shishbelko? Shishbelko. Uh, yeah, yeah. Shishbelko. I'm going to call him Shish, Shishkabelko. Shishkabababelko. You don't Whatever. speak Polish. That's not one of your, uh, not one of your languages. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think those guys getting some extended run here um, in a in a kind of going with, you know, being able to get a Com and Pico onto the field and get them building some confidence as well. You, you've gotten to see some different matchups and, and mixings of, of the, uh, you know, the, the forwards and and the offensive crew, I, I think it ends up working out really well for this team. I think you finally get to see that Jim Curtin might actually know what he's doing. And, um, you know, it, it's nice to see that he's not running out the same lineup every game. It's mm-hmm. nice to see that he's willing to mix and match. And it's not that normal Jim Curtin of, you know, I'm going to put in my substitute at, what, the 70th minute, the 75th, and the 80th, right? Like the thing that he's always been known for where he just waits way too long into games when the game gets away. Right, yeah. And it's just you can you can set your watch to it. You know the Sons of Ben are going to put up the scarves at, what is it, 21 minutes? And you know that Jim Curtin's going to put in a sub every five minutes starting at 70. So, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I think it's good. So, actually, let's do the portion of the podcast that I was going to save for later. Let's do that right now. Um, and it's, we're going to do an exercise. You know how I always like to do an exercise on the podcast, mm-hmm. a little mental stimulus kind of thing that you don't get on sports radio, right? You only get on always soccer and Philadelphia podcast because people say I'm too negative. We're going to go down the entire roster or at least the, like the main guys who are playing. And we're going to say something positive about every single player. All right. So, okay. um, let's go back to front. Andre Blake is obviously injured. So, um, Matt Freeze is obviously injured. Um, so Carlos Cornell, a uh, couple great saves the other night, kick save nice. and a beauty. He had the other yeah. one that he pushed off of. Uh, I forget who shot it, but he like got down and got a hand on it and knocked it off the post. Um, yep. I thought New England actually came out and played really well to start. Uh, the Union looked maybe a little leggy after after the on their third game in like eight days or whatever it was. Um, but Cornell looks solid, man. Yeah, he does. Um, I would say the best thing about Cornell is his uh, his beard. It is. It's a phenomenal beard. It's the best beard probably since uh, Richie Marquez. Yeah, 22 years old. Um, Ray Gaddis, he's been incredibly steady over there, you know. Um, And he played, you know, again, you see his flexibility on display this week where he plays left back. They they get Wagner on the bogus second game suspension, right? So he plays left back, left back, right back. Um, Goal line clearance in Vancouver. No real mistakes that I saw, did you? Nope. Um. Jack Elliott, uh huh. Did you have a Gaddis point that you want to make? It was just going to be every game that Ray Gaddis plays is one game closer to the end of his career. That's the positive. <laughs> All right, you said it, not me. Uh, Jack Elliott uh, playing like the best center back on the Union roster right now. He is ridiculous he is. goal. He's <laughs> for and, a yeah. Back. Well, okay. Can we talk about that play for a second? So I, I know that too. everybody was kind of losing their mind that like Elliott did, and it's interesting because it was a center back and all that. It's a good goal. It's not an incredibly difficult goal. He kind of turns on a dime. He almost toes it in. The keeper clearly doesn't t- expect it's anything. It's still it, hard to pivot like that and hit it with yeah. your weak foot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to I drive guess. it on your laces on your laces with your weak foot. But I don't know what Farrell was if, doing. Farrell wasn't anywhere near. I think it was just like kind of you know it was like a ball back in off a restart. Yeah, That's why was, he was up was there. Kind in the first of a, play. It was kind of a perfect storm. I mean, I think we'd all be lying if we said that we haven't seen somebody playing like futsal 
do that goal, make that goal, or somebody playing intramurals. Center in, backs, uh, in though? Defense, six foot five, yeah, why not? lanky, fourth round draft picks, center backs. All right. Well, I haven't played with that many fourth round center backs. All right. <laughs> Me neither. I don't have don't have a, it's a just, huge uh, frame of reference here. No, Thanks. I just think like, it's funny, man, because I, I said the other night I was like, it's just crazy to me that the 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 Union back line, uh, which has allowed eleven goals this year, is uh, a second round draft pick from West Virginia, a fourth round draft pick from West Virginia, like a twenty year old homegrown kid, and a dude from the German third division. It is wild. <laughs> I think, oh, really? Um, okay, Austin Trusty. He's um he, he's he's made a couple of mistakes this year, but some of his recovery tackles, some of the crunchers that he's put in, he he has showed the the talent that he showed at times last year that says that he he can be an everyday, every match player in, in MLS. You know, I think he's just got to button it up a little bit, but I mean, otherwise he's been pretty good. He's got really good size, um, and he he's continuing to to be a, a reliable player, um. I guess you could say that he's really trustworthy. Is this good? Are we, is, did this just turn into a good cop, bad cop kind of thing? I think so. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, I'll be the good cop then, because it's the actually the point, of, the point of the of the exercise was to show that I'm not a pessimist, but I'm that I'm positive. Uh, Kai Wagner. I said last week I was wrong on him. I think we were all wrong on him. Um, I mean, obviously the kid's got a ton of room to grow, um, but he's been more than steady on the on the left side. Like I'm trying to think of a. Wagner mistake outside of the the red card tackle that he made. Uh, I don't know. I can't really think of one off the top of my head. Die Wirklichkeit ist Kai Wagner ist der beste. Er ist der beste Spieler für die Philadelphia Union. Er ist der beste Abwehrspieler und uh, ja natürlich er ist besser als Ray Gaddis und um, ja die andere Shannon Shannon Williams. Nein, ja. Yeah. Um, Harris Medunia. Uh, he, he's cut down on the defensive issues that were plaguing them at the beginning of the year. Although there was the goal, the goal that the Revs did score, I guess it was when the Union were playing with 10 men at that point. Um, there are still some times where they get gappy, like in front of the center back, so maybe he could turn around and help. But the addition of Montero, I think, has really helped that. Um, and Bedoya is always putting out fires, but Madunian has been pinging the ball around at, at a pretty elite level over the last couple of weeks. He has been. Um, it, it is interesting. Like, I, I don't know if you can find another defensive mid in MLS who is as bad defensively as Harris Medunian, but as you pointed out, that with the back line being as reliable as they've been, guys are getting back to help. Uh, I don't think it's a secret at this point among the, the roster that Harris is not a good defensive player, but as long as he's able to ping these balls around the way that he has been, uh, you live with the defensive lapses as long as he's able to uh, to create from that position. Well, one, so. yeah, you know, it's it's honestly a little bit like the like the possession mentality where if the other team doesn't have the ball they can't score you know union were up to like 60 some percent possession in that game and it's 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 insane to me how you know this team switched to a new formation and a new system um and but all of the positive possession like traits that they that they built up last year those all carried over into this year for all the positive possession stuff with doge colin rosenberry in the 4-2-3-1 last year they're still they're still doing that in four four two with some different pieces, you know. So it's interesting that blend. It kind of reminds me of when like a, it's almost like when a, a coach like a basketball coach coaches one way and then he gets fired and the next coach comes in and puts his stamp on it. But you see remnants of like what was taught to the previous a group, and so you get this weird kind of blend of two different teams, and that's what I'm seeing with the union right now. It's just insane to me how. How they're so good at kind of like pinging in around in those little triangles 
um, which takes me actually to the next player. Uh, Jameer Montero, his work rate is, is just crazy. I mean, he's all over the field, um, dropping back, demanding the ball, um, always moving into space. Uh, he's, he's, his game really is perfect for the system. It, it is. Um, do you ever have a kid on your team when you're growing up who just did everything, ran everywhere, probably outpaced the uh, the next player on the team by like threefold? Yeah, yeah, love it. We had, we had a South African kid um, growing up, and our coach Stephen Pinar. Him. No, uh, our coach kind of hated him because he he was never where he necessarily expected him to be, but he always found his way to the ball, and that's kind of what Montero is. Mm-hmm. And you need a guy with a high work rate. And it's especially nice to see that a, a new player on the team is one of the guys who's kind of leading the way there. He's not afraid to get himself involved in the play, and he's not afraid to get himself, you know, touches on the ball and, mm-hmm. and create for his teammates. And, you know, a lot of times there's that that acclimation period where guys are a little bit apprehensive, and it hasn't happened with him, and that's it's nice. Bring the confidence and continue to build off it. Bedoya. It's been a pleasant surprise. Bedoya, I think, is, you know, always does a lot of really good little things around, uh, you know. And it's 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 interesting to me because I think you're always, you know, when this team wasn't really signing amazing players back in the day, you know, it was it was hard for people to fathom that your record signing, your $1.1 million guy was like a glue guy, you know. But you see the benefit of how he exists, how and how he works with guys who are just as good as him in the midfield, you know. So for him, his shuttling, ability, I, I feel like between Bedoya and Montero, you have two perfect shuttlers for this system. Yep. Um, Brendan Aronson, he's been active. Um, you know, I think his his the way that on some of these turns with purpose sometimes when he receives the ball it seems like he knows where he wants to go or he's able to kind of direct that first touch left or right or forward or away from a defender um, obviously he's really young there's been some balls in recent weeks where he looks like he hasn't been ready for it or maybe he's been a step behind the game um, but that'll that'll come with time you know and Marco Fabian you know obviously when he comes back um, you've seen some flashes of quality from him and uh, you know think about having him back in the fold you know yeah, I, the only pause I guess I have with Aronson is it feels like every year there's a young guy that the team really or the fan base really gets behind, mm-hmm. and then they put unrealistic expectations on him, and then eventually he just kind of falls off. Um, so far, it hasn't happened. We talked I about that wanna, last I don't week get, a little bit. Don't want to get like too high. Now, Peter um, Peter Andrews was the same way with that. Where I, I just th- I thought it was kind of like again another like self fulfilling kind of thing where it's like. Our goal is to, you know, see great young American players. So we praise them for things that I think are honestly kind of rudimentary in the in the in the long run. You know what I mean? Like, look at this. Like, I'm talking about first touch and turns. You know, um, but you would expect that from a number ten at the professional level. You know what I mean? So um, I know he's just a kid, and like, it's not. You know, their their development curve is different than a than a 25 year old DP that comes over here for sure. But um, yeah, it's just, you know, we said the same things with Derek Jones and with you know, Zach Pfeffer back in the day and and other guys, so you hope it's not one of those cases for sure. Um, with the strikers, let's start with uh, Shabilko. Just making the most of his opportunity, you know. Um, certainly, I think, like, with his size and the way he plays, he's an adequate replacement for Corey Burke, yeah? Yeah. Um, he brings a, a skill set, I think, that the Union just haven't had. He strikes me as, like, kind of the... Um, he can be a good target forward in the air in the way that we expected Fernando Arisigueta to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and he obviously never was. Fernando was slow, too. That was the problem. He was. I liked Fernando's game, but um, I thought he was a good guy on set pieces. But 
Man, he just you know when you when you watch Corey, uh, I'm sorry, Corey. When you watch uh, like CJ Sapong play the four two three one versus pl- watching Fernando do it, um, Fernando is probably the better finisher like clinically, but CJ's like work rate and his his ability to bang I think was was five times that of Fernando. Look, man, it's bad when you're playing in MLS and you look way too slow. I know that the it's pace true. of the game yeah. is changing, but like, <laughs> and he was only 22. He was not like an old guy, you know. But Fernando is just like a slow, lumbering kind of. Kind of do. I know he had injuries too. He had the hand injury, uh, you know, when he when he was playing here. But the couple goals he scored were nice goals. Um, I think Shabilko is is if you're looking, you know, we talked about like that one small striker, one big striker kind of thing. We talked about that with Adam Kahn. Uh, and if you want to want to do that, then he then Shabilko fits that for sure. I'm looking right now just to see if Fernando's still playing. It looks like he is. Uh, Where's he playing in Venezuela? He is playing in. Liga Aguila. Is that Venezuela? Sounds like maybe. It, yeah. I gotta tell you that I'll, I'll look, I'll do a little uh do a little bit of digging here. The only time I've ever asked a question in Spanish, it was like the Copa America in twenty sixteen. And of course you're looking for like any you want to go down there and cover the games, so you're like, what the hell is the local connection? What the here is the Philly connection here, you know? So mm-hmm. Venezuela was playing God, who did they beat? Did they beat Uruguay or something? There was like an upset or something. And the only thing I could think of was like, okay, Fernando's Venezuelan. Um, he used to play at Nantes with uh, Osvaldo Vizcarando. <laughs> so Vizcarando comes out, and I like wrote this thing into Google and like double checked it. Then I asked him, like, hey, you used to play, you're friends with Fernando, you know him. He used to play here. How's he doing or whatever? And he understood, like, okay, you're just some english-speaking dude who doesn't speak spanish but you're trying hard here so he just answered he answered the question back in spanish and then he just like gave me a wink and walked off or whatever and then i got a friend to translate it but that was um that was an interesting kind of kind of thing i could have used that used used you there that's what i'm here for um by the way fernando risigueda is playing in colombia right now in the top flight um and he's got 10 goals in 13 matches he has played 90 minutes in all but one game oh he's playing for like uh i'm sorry in in all but two games oh he's playing for america de cali yeah okay yes. um who came from there some other union player came from there i want to say so there you go he went he's to 27 f- years old now maybe he'll get an extended loan soon fernando went to, yeah they loaned him out to uh um, not loan him to Red Star, not Belgrade, but the second division French team. And then he went to uh, Nacional in, um, which Nacional is this? There's like 50 of them. Uh, is this Brazil? Oh, no, in Portugal. Oh, the one that's in like the Azores. So he went to that. He, that's the one that uh, Matt Jones played for, I think. And then he went back to Caracas where he started his career. Now he's at Cali. Um, yep. 15 appearances for Venezuela, one goal. Um he he actually scores. I think uh, maybe pretty soon Barcelona might have to look because uh, they sure didn't score today. So yeah, yeah. Fernando Aristeguieta could be the answer for Barcelona. He's he's going to be the best target striker that the uh, that Barcelona's had since uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Fernando Aristeguieta has to take some of his goals and he has to give them to Barcelona. Oh, Senator Sanders, thank you for joining the pod. It is the most socialist and best way to operate. Since he's Venezuelan, I actually wish he was here. I'd like to ask him about who he supports between Nicolas Maduro and Juan Guaido. I don't think we should ask him that. Uh, FYI, Russ and I do this Bernie, um, I almost said Bernie Madoff, Bernie uh, Bernie <laughs> Sanders like skit on uh, Crossing Broadcast. I have no personal political opinions about about uh, Bernie Sanders. We just like doing impersonation impressions. Kevin, you're being him. modest. Everybody knows that outside of your Fishtown home, on your truck, 
that may or may not belong to a woman, according to a Crossing Broad commenter. <laughs> you have a Bernie Sanders 2016 sticker, as well as a Bernie Sanders 2020 sticker. Fafa Pico uh, work rate is still great, even though he's <laughs> even though he's like not you know getting the goals. Um, it always always worth having him on the field. I think whether you're bringing him in as a sub or even if you're starting and playing in 50 minutes, I mean he's still a threat. Um, David Akam, I, I personally would still be starting Akam. Um, I think he showed more purpose and more of well, what's the word I'm looking for? What's a synonym for purpose that describes like a guy who knows what he wants to do with the ball? I think that there's more direction to his game than Pico's game right now. Does that make sense to you? Like yeah. when Akam gets the ball, I feel like he knows kind of what he wants to do in the attacking third. I feel like Pico is working hard and getting on the ball in good spots, but I'm not sure that he's like in the same mindset that Akam is in right now. Yeah, I don't have a good way to put this. Uh, I mean this in the nicest way because I think Fafa is a nice guy. Um, Fafa Pico is a good player for what he is. And what he is is a very fast, somewhat skilled guy who has not shown the ability to consistently finish. David Akam mm-hmm. is a fast player, somewhat skilled, who has shown the ability to score. Last year, uh, notwithstanding, when he was suffering from a sports hernia. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about like which guy has demonstrated the ability to be a more consistent threat, it's David Akam. That's why yeah. David Akam was acquired for such a high transfer fee, and Fafa Pico probably wouldn't be was a now, was kind of said, a money, not a money ballish signing but a guy like a one u.s cap like come to mls and see what you have kind of signing and here's the thing though you know fafa i i feel like fafa uh looks a lot younger than he is he's 28 he's as old as i am um it's not like you're looking to see him kind of take that next step it's not like you're saying hey it's only a second year in the league and and there's still plenty of time i think we know what fafa is at this point now if he's able to uh to continue to play off the other forwards and and play off this midfield well and this team continues to play confident soccer then maybe all of a sudden that starts to you know translate to his game as well and if he gets into a bit of a hot streak then like i don't know if i would think that going forward at least for the next game or two um the penalty taker spot is going to be open and maybe if fafa you know has some confidence maybe he ends up making that his role and he embraces it i don't know We'll see. I think he does a good job for, for what he's expected to do on this team. David Akam is uh, 28 years old. He has he scored 33 goals for Chicago, 5 for the Union, 30 for Helsingborg, um, and 9 at the team he was with in Sweden before that. Fafa Pico, I'm going to type this in here. I've got Fafa. Do you want me to? Oh, me I to just got it you? up. He, uh, 18 goals for the Philadelphia Union, 4 for St. Pauli. Uh, zero for Sparta Prague. He didn't. He didn't play for them. Um, and Fort Lauderdale, he scored twelve. Um, they're both twenty-eight years old. Akam to me looks older. Maybe it's just that he's been uh, longer established in the league. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Um, let me see. He started his career in two thousand nine. Pico in two thousand twelve. Of of course, you know because oh uh, well. Fafa's youth career was at Cagliari, and where did uh, Akam's youth career? Oh, it was the Right to Dream Academy in uh, Goner. Goner. You know, I always I love how the British people some some British people not all but some uh, f- uh, pronounce like those words with a like it's an er instead of a. 
and uh my wife watches uh oh, like david silver david silver oh yes david silver was it would it be Foffer? Foffer pico Foffer pico so like but tommy tommy would not say Foffer. no because he's irish and they say their th is, is like their hard t's yeah, yeah yeah like uh 30 years old <laughs> Oh, we got Fafa, Fafa running down the pitch. Oh, JP, look at him. He's got a real fire in his belly. Oh, Fafa. I'm going to call him Fafa. He doesn't look like a Fafa. He looks like a man who's going to put it in the back of the net. Yeah, so, like, um, my wife always watches um, the Real Housewives of uh, of Beverly Hills, I guess it is, and uh, Vanderpump Rules. And so the one housewife, uh, Lisa Vanderpump, um, is British. And she said, and she says like every, so Sarah's like understanding of the British, like, I think it's called a rhotic R. I think is that how, is that how you say it? Sure. Um, I think her, like her understanding of that is reality TV and Bravo. And my understanding of it is listening to like British soccer announcers say like goner and stuff like that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so like, just as a joke, like anything that ends in an A, like she and I like automatically say it like an ER. It's like a dumb husband and wife thing. <laughs> I'm like, that's cute. Or something that's cute. Like comes, it's comes good to out. have things. Uh, yeah. It's good to have things that unite you yeah. now that you have a child. Like she would say to in me, this world. she would say to me like, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go to yoga tonight. I'd be like, you mean yoga? <laughs> yes. I'm going to yoga. Um, uh, by the way, I, my birth, the birth certificate, Cameron's birth certificate came in today and, um, it said male on it. So, um, First, I felt bad about it because I'm like, wow, should I have assigned her a gender? And then the other thing I noticed was that we have to actually go and get it corrected. So we took a, a fun trip to the Fishtown Auto Tags uh, to get it to get our birth certificate correction notarized. So that was a fun uh, a fun little family trip. Maybe I can tell her about that when she's older. Um, anyway, let's continue the exercise here. Um, Sergio Santos looks. Oh man, I had I had good audio. Hold on. So this is about your daughter, right? Yeah. Sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, so. What are you you wearing, Jake from State Farm? Er, khakis. Uh, Khakis. Well, she sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, so. (laughs) That's got to go on our soundboard. Well, she's a guy, so. We do, you know, let's extend this to Always Soccer listeners because they'll actually respond to us. Um, okay. Russ and I queried uh, crossing broadcast listeners because we, we Russ and I were big fans of the Tony Bruno soundboard back in the day, Bruno Mays. And um, we thought it'd be cool to do a, our own soundboard for um, crossing broadcast. But maybe I could use a soundboard for Always Soccer too, and we could use it. Exactly. Um, mine that I would want to add is Charles Barkley saying, I don't give a flying fuck what the call in radio call in people say. So if you, that's terrible. That's, I think it's terrible. So if you want to, um, if you think that always soccer and crossing broadcast should have a, a combined, uh, soundboard, uh, let me know and let me know what clips you would want to put in there. It could be a fun listener and host combination activity. Another way to, that we involve you in the show besides answering every single one of your questions. Um, what up, what up, Jose from Norristown? What up, Bruno? What up, Maze? What up, Fafa Pico? What up, Fafa? What up, Shabelka Belko? What up, David Akam? What up, Corey Burke? Hey, by the way, what up, with Corey Burke? 
Why isn't he here? Let, let's finish. Let me finish the activity okay. before we do. Uh, Sergio Santos looks like the real deal. I'm yeah, telling he you, man, he's like got Sergio. a nose. He's got a nose for goal. His runs are purposeful and violent. Um, Unlike like Joel Embiid's runs, his are good. That's right. See, that's a, that's right, a gastroenterology that a, uh, joke. Good gastroenterology joke there. I think um, with Santos, he just I, I really like how he just attacks the ball on those runs. Um, he seems to have good timing to know when to when to go and when not to go. You know, uh, could have had three the other night. I really like Santos. Um, I, I went down to the opener, and of course, uh, we're wandering around in the in the uh, locker room after the game, and uh, I asked uh, press guy, "What's Schwef? Ryan Schweffinger?" Yeah. So I I said, "Hey, uh, you know, is Santos available?" Because he had come on as a sub, and I walked over, and and like Santos has the biggest shoulders I've ever seen on a soccer player. Mm-hmm. Like this guy never missed arm day. Mm-hmm. He never missed upper military body day. press day. He's just got this like. He has this physique to him, and I'm not, like, much to comment on, like, the shirtless dude look, but Sergio Santos is a chiseled guy, and he's got broad shoulders, and it's not that that matters all that much, um, but he's he's a guy who, I think, embraces physicality in a way, like, we've seen larger forwards on this team not give up the body. Um, you know, I, I think the most notable guy in all of MLS who's got the physique of a guy who in theory should play like a linebacker and plays like the water boy is uh, Josie Altador. Mm. Sergio Santos is just this, he's just a, a massive hulking guy. And to see his combination of speed and strength and athleticism, like it is an exciting thing. I want to see more and, Santos. I need more, I need more Santos. And that's why, again, like that's why I think it's a good thing for, you know, Corey Burke is not here, won't be here for a while. And, and as long as Santos is able to stay healthy, I think he's going to continue to kind of assert his dominance and, and make a real case to be a guy on this team. Um, but in that first game, you know, he, he said that like the one thing that he needed to, uh, get accustomed to was just like the differences in the speed and physicality of play. But he Mm -hmm. said to me in that first, that first post game, um, in Spanish, of course, um, he, he just said that like he, he knows what he can bring to the team and that is speed and physicality. Mm-hmm. And that, and he said like the physical play of MLS is something that a lot of guys talked about. And in that first game, it was something that he said, you know, you, I, you definitely know. So he's, he's not somebody who's going to shy away. I said it's, last it's week sign. that I wanted to see a calm and Santos play together. And I, I, I still do. Like, I believe that I, I feel like those two guys are, I have the best nose for goal out of the striker core that you have now. I don't know if that makes them the best strikers system wise, or if you, if you, you know how much Jim likes Shabilko's, uh, you know, target man qualities. He, he played a great one time diagonal to Aronson, I think the other night, or how much he likes Pico's work rate and defensive, um, contributions as well. I don't know. But if you're asking me out of those five guys, like excluding Burke, cause he's not part of it now, like who has the best nose for goal and who has the best attacking, like downhill kind of Ben Simmons mentality. It's Santos in a calm to me. Um, yep. okay. Ilsenio finally best sub in MLS by far. Uh, I, I, dude, I, it's, it's crazy to me because I just, it's, some guys are just built for that role. You know, there's nothing scientific behind it, but I remember when he came to the team in 2016, um, and he had been playing in, well, he was at Shakhtar and then he went back to Brazil, um, and he was playing with Sao Paulo and Internacional, and then he went back to Shakhtar for a second stint, and then he came to the Union. So at that point, he was one, two, three. He was only thirty years old, 
um, that's not that old. Like, I, you know, you can still run and you can still do a lot of back and forth at 30 years old, but he came in overweight back then. Had some of the injuries and stuff. I don't know what his weight is now, but he was like 200, 210 back then. Like, that's crazy for a winger to be 210. Um, most center backs, like, barely even top 200 pounds. Like, Michael Parkhurst weighs like 170 or something, I think. So. He's listed at 179 now. Parkhurst? Oh, no, Ilsenio is listed at 179. Okay, so that's you're talking about like a 25, 30 pound swing from when he came into camp in 2016 um, from Shakhtar. It's it's not like Shakhtar's chopped liver. I mean, they were like a Champions League and Europa League team every year, you know. So it wasn't like he was like chilling on the beach, um, you know, playing for playing for some second division Brazilian team or whatever. But he's just he's just such a direct like run it like tired defenders in the 60th minute kind of thing. It's perfect, you know. I can't be the only one who thinks he looks like Brazilian Ben Affleck, right? (laughs) I know that. Okay, anyway, let me me get to the analysis. No, but seriously, he does. He he really does. I think the Sons of Ben should uh, should work on a chant for uh, for El Senior being Ben Affleck. Um, this is the one thing that I think is I, I'm going to make a cross sport comparison. Apologies That's to okay. to all those involved. Okay. El Senior, where he is in his career, age wise com- compared to the rest of the team, at 33, he'll be 34 by the end of the season. Um, the skill that he brings and knowing that he can't really at this point in his career be a guy who goes 70 minutes for you or really shouldn't his he is best served as a sub it reminds me of the year that the flyers brought in yarmir yager mm-hmm. um yager was advanced in his career he wasn't going to be a guy who could go out and lead your team in minutes and really shouldn't have but he he saw the game in a way that nobody else on on the ice did and Osinio to me is a guy who it's just like he he reads the game with angles that no one else on the field is is capable of seeing, and so you look at some of the goals that he uh, he set up recently. I mean, these are at at his full pace as he's leaving defenders in his wake and he's cutting toward you know the um, the center of the box. He's able at his <clears throat> whatever is effectively his full speed. He's able to lob in a low floating pass right onto a guy's foot. And it's a an incredibly difficult skill, but he does it in a way, it's almost like he does some things that are like Aryan Robin-esque mm-hmm. in the way that he's not a flighted ball kind of guy. He can beat you off the dribble. He can whip around you with step overs. He's not going to blister a shot, but he just finds those beautiful little like five to seven yard passes that set you up in a way that like it slips you behind the defender and it either puts you in position to score mm-hmm, or for you mm-hmm. to center it and drop it back to somebody coming in at full pace. He just sees this game yeah. in a way that I, I don't think anybody else on the team can. He, and it's just such a valuable thing, especially when you've got, you know, with the speed that you've got up front with like guys like Fafa or Akam or Santos who wear down defenders the entire game. And then El Senior gets to come in. He's, you know, admittedly not the fastest guy, but he comes in with fresh legs and it, it makes it look like El Senio is, you know, fleet of foot. So it, it, it's yeah. been a nice kind of, you know, give and take with this, uh, the starting crew and, and him coming in like El Senio and, um, and Madunian actually are both very similar in the fact that they have great hips and, um, like, hear me out on this. Like, seriously, this won't be as weird as like the small feet discussion that I had with Adam. Um, but like, if you want another cross sport reference here, like if you watch a good kick returner or punt returner uh, in football, they they're really really good at how do I describe this? When the defender turns or makes their cut, they're making their move at the same time, 
or they're able to they're able to use your momentum against you, I think is a good way to explain it. You know what I mean? Where you see like if you see that a defender or a tackler is, is plant going to plant his feet 10 yards from you, you make your cut right when they're about to plant. And so you just breeze right by him. I saw Devin Hester do that for years. I saw Tavon Austin do that for years. And you see Harris Madunian with these like quick like shuffles of his hips and these quick little rollovers that he does. He's able to put he's able to move guys off of him just because their momentum is taking them one way or the other. I think El Senior does a good job of that as well. Um, what are you playing in the background? They do, though. Watch it. When some guy steps to address El Sino, he's making his move in conjunction with when, when that guy's making his move in the opposite direction. They're very good at just using momentum against them. It's an MMA thing, too. You know, just using people's energy going one way, you're going the opposite way. And it just makes the most subtle movements um, look rather monumental, actually, you know. Um, yep. Also, I just wanted to check in. Um, before we get to questions, I just want to check in real quick with, with Charles Barkley to see what he thinks about the radio callers. ...and their criticism of you for doing this. You really think I give a flying fuck what the people on the radio calls say? Thank you. All right. Um, so that's what Charles Barkley thinks about the people in the radio calls. Let's do um, questions. What are we at? We're at like uh, 47 minutes right now. All right, let's take... Th- we didn't get to your boy. Oh, Corey Did you want Burke. to talk I'm about sorry. yeah the Corey Burke situation? Um, so listen, like I don't know why I called him your boy, but no, this is I, the thing you were excited. No, to talk I, about. I just like so. Let me just back it up here, like because I'm not on the beat anymore. Like I don't actively like search out like information and stuff like that. I don't say like, hey, I'm gonna go like dig into this or whatever. But sometimes people will, like message me or like the mystery source guy popped up back in the day or whatever. So somebody direct messaged me and said, I heard it on good authority that Corey Burke failed a drug test and i'm sitting here thinking oh, I, I don't i don't do you get drug tested when you get your green card like i've is that a thing i, I don't know um so i texted somebody that i really really trusted and uh they said what's up with or actually you know what they texted me and let me just pull it up real quick um source one where is source one in here um said what do you know about the Corey Burke thing and I said source mystery source said he failed a drug test and that person said confirmed um but but I don't I don't know what like what is that what does that mean it's not like he's doing like heroin like if if even if you like if there was like marijuana or something and maybe when he went back to get he was here on a p1 visa uh you have to go back to your country of origin to get to finish your green card application I guess is how I understand it um, and maybe he had failed it in the past, like while he was here and they won't allow him re-entry to the country. I, I thought that might be what it is. I don't know if that's a question, like a process with the green card. Somebody messaged me on Twitter today and said like, I guess his wife or something just recently went through it and then it's it, that it's not a thing. Um, hmm. But it could come up in like an interview maybe. Um, or if there was like something, I don't know, would there if, if there was something... Well, he wouldn't have a record, right? Because he's not a U.S. citizen if he's here on a P-1 visa, right? Like, if he came here on a P-1 and he got arrested or something, like, wouldn't he just get kicked out? First it was math, and now it's oh, uh, immigration God, I know. Law. I should have looked into it more. But this is basically what, like, four people told me, that they thought there was some, like, drug-related issue that was that caused the holdup when he went back to Jamaica to finish the green card process. 
Um, well, so I, I don't. On positive note, it's worked out for the union. So and, uh, I hope the guy's okay. I hope everything I know, works out. I know well. people just connected the dots. What somebody told me was that they thought it was similar to Keon Daniels' situation, where when he left the country, uh, Keon, I guess, got busted for smoking weed or carrying weed on him or something. I think he was in Trinidad on international duty, and he couldn't get back into the United States because of that. Um, yeah. I'm not saying this is what that was. I don't know if it was weed. I don't know if it was something else. I don't even know if it was like like a, a drug or like it could, it could you know of course it could be like anything in his system if he was tested for something but i don't i don't know uh, that's okay. just what i was told so um if i hear more i will share more with you guys but it wasn't like i'm out to get Corey. i'm gonna dig this up like this is what people came to me with you know so uh okay let's get the questions because there's a lot of them so let's just spend like 10 minutes here going through them uh let me find the uh the tweet asking for the questions um, at Daddy Kleinbucks asked, "What are the chances Bedoya is called up to the national team for the Gold Cup?" Uh, little to none. Yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty much done. And Bradley's like the only older guy they've been calling in, right? I mean, does Bedoya move Michael you Bradley. for? Does yeah, does calling up Ollie whether he deserves it or not? Does that like move you, move you forward? You know, um, I think yeah. anybody who was linked to like the. Like, unfortunately, like regardless of whether they were spot responsible or not, I think anybody that was linked to the team that failed to to qualify is probably going to have, like, a stigma attached to them. You know what I mean? If that's the case, though, then Michael Bradley should not be called up. I mean, I yeah, I would probably agree with that, you know. it's not Again, it's not that I don't think he's a good player, but it's just like, okay, we've kind of, like, moved on from all that, haven't we? Yep. I mean, the, anybody who remains from that era, like, we, we know who they are. Yeah. Um, okay, they are who, we who we thought they were. We let them off the hook. And if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. Uh, Richard Saunders, what are the odds of Philadelphia Union loan Burke uh, and sign a striker to take his place? Uh, should they target a star? Mm. Um, I don't think they can loan him. Yeah, if he's not eligible. Well, I think the Jamaican League just ended the- too, didn't it? I think they play at a different mm. – like I, they don't play during the summer. I think they're mm. on a different calendar. But you don't have to. You get five, you got five if- strikers, yeah. If they transferred him to a Canadian team, could he get a Canadian visa? And if he did, would he be able to play in the U.S.? I don't know. I would have to know more about like this if there was an issue because you know the MLS uh, SABH program is is carries it's like a, what's it called when your driver's license works in another? It's reciprocated. It's reciprocal or something okay. like the Canadian rules. I think are the same as the. American rules with that. Um, Kyle Branson says, are we still best friends? I guess. I don't know. Are we, were we not? Um, Kyle also wants to know what is the best rage against the machine song? That's a Um, question. I'll go one from each of the first three albums. I'll go take the power back from the first album. I'll go, uh, Vietnam from evil empire. Uh, and I'll go with gorilla radio on battle of Los Angeles. Um, Kyle has a third question here. He says, what's your favorite golf course in Berks County? Um, my dad used to play Leder, uh, lead rock, lead rock, lead rock. Does that sound familiar? Um, no, you, of course you're up in Schuylkill County. Nobody goes up there to play golf. So Mountain View is a pretty decent golf course. If I remember Mountain correctly. View, that's Mountain in View. Schuylkill yeah. County. I mean, in fairness, everything in Schuylkill County is a mountain. Rick McGovern says, uh, Ajax or Spurs tomorrow. Also, if Ajax wins, can we get an all-Ajax episode? The answer to the second question is no. Um, who you got, Ajax or Spurs? 
Rich McGovern needs to start listening to Crossing Broad FC, the only Philadelphia-based international football podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want Ajax. I I really did. I know this is this is off of the uh, the union altogether. Yeah. I wanted Ajax and Barca to go through because I thought the idea of Ajax not only knocking out the likes of Real Madrid, which broke my heart, and knocking out Ronaldo and Juventus, which broke my heart. Knocking out Liverpool would have been interesting, especially if they had gone down to the final week or so in contention for the uh, the Premier League title, mm-hmm. and then going and, and knocking Lionel Messi mm-hmm. out. That would have been one of the greatest stories uh, of probably the last decade, at least in the Champions League. Yeah, um, it's not that it's not that it would be any less meaningful for them to go on and, and beat Liverpool in the final. Um, I hate Tottenham. I, I genuinely like I know a lot of people like Tottenham for some reason, but Tottenham to me is just this team that perpetually gets everyone's hopes up. Um, their fans think that they're going to, you know, this is the year to win the league and it never is. And they're a team that like Harry Kane to me is is like a decent enough striker, but I think he's one of the more overrated players in Europe. Um, I say that until he signs with Real Madrid and then he'll be the greatest thing to ever happen. Ronaldo, who um, I, I'm just not a Spurs believer. I think that you know, the way that the bottom's kind of fallen out for them um, down the stretch here, I wouldn't be too surprised to see Pochettino leave. And I'm going to be more interested to see if he ends up with the likes of, you know, maybe Barca, if Valverde leaves, or if maybe Manchester United goes back on their uh, their deal with Ole and, and end up ousting him for Pochettino, who they've been rumored to be in pursuit of for a long time. So I'm just going to enjoy watching Tottenham burn, I guess is what I'm, I'm saying. Gl- yeah, I mean, I'm glad that... I don't. I don't know if I wanted all Premier League final, but um, I was. I was glad that we didn't get Barcelona. That we're not going to have Barcelona versus Ajax because um, I, I explained like my Ajax thing last week or the week before or something like that. Again, I'm like I'm not against them. I just think there's a group of like soccer people who cling to Ajax and Barcelona and want to lecture people on what's the best way to play and the only way to play and the best way to develop youth and whatever. And so when Barcelona loses four nothing to Liverpool and Liverpool presses the hell out of them. It's just another exhibition of that. There's no, there's no one right way to play the game. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, there, there was a part, there's, there would be a part of Ajax versus Barcelona that would invoke like the self-righteous, um, like elitist jerk off kind of mentality, you know? And like, I, I, I don't want that. I want to be spared from that. I don't personally have anything against Barcelona, or Ajax, I think they both play a great game, and I've got to like, like I like watching both of those teams play. It's just that when the people come in, then and say this is how you do it, where that where I, you know, deviate. You know what I mean? Because I just don't yeah. like people telling me how to do something or what the best way to do it is. And I think there's some validation to that when you see Liverpool go smack the shit out of Barcelona. You know what I mean? They yeah. can't play tiki taka because I mean, they're just getting pressed all over the all over the field. You know. I just think something you have to tip your cap to what IX has done and the teams that they've been able to take out and they've done it their own way. They haven't. It's not like they've been a bunkering no, team. No, they've been playing stretch. an like amazing game. Yeah, they've been playing yeah. an amazing pace. They've been playing youthful, like with a with a youth movement. And I get that they like to sell their players and it's a disappointment and everything. But like this is a really cool story. And then you know while the Liverpool's of the world are effectively out of the EPL race, Tottenham's never really truly in it. Um, and who am I forgetting? Oh, and Barca's already wrapped up La Liga. Ajax, meanwhile, is in an absolute dogfight with Eindhoven in the Eredivisie. Um, They're tied on points with 80. But Ajax has a goal differential of 81. (laughs) 
in their league. And like 81? they've won the last Yeah, they they've scored 111 goals. Jesus. They've only allowed 30 in 32 games. You think about that now. It's not like the Eredivisie is like this amazing They're league not getting or anything, any but like for like knock Breda. But Are like for what them? people have have been like hyping up about City versus Liverpool, obviously that's a whole other level. But the fact that Ajax has been able to do what they've done while being in the midst of this, you know, really tough uh, race within their their league, I think is a, an interesting thing, and I want to see them rewarded. I, I want to see Ajax make it to the final. I'd like to see Ajax win the whole oh, thing. Breda is in the uh, Dutch league; they're in last place. Okay, so I was right about that. Um, Richard Saunders says, "Why are Philly fans unable to tell the difference between being critical uh, and being negative?" Um, well, it's not, I think the people that like, well, I think the problem is that like people were coming to me and they're saying, you know, it's the timing of like, why, why are you going to talk about points per game? Like, can't you just let us enjoy it? Like, why are you going to like pour cold water? Like, like now's not the time to talk about it. And like, I understand that, but I'm not like, I think those two things can exist like in exclusivity. Like, yes, you can enjoy the union win and you can feel good about it and you can celebrate and you can drink a friggin' Coors Light or something. And, but you can also say to yourself, okay, I understand like the discrepancy with the, with the games played and games in hand and the points per game this early in the season. Like, I don't, I think like mentally we are all capable of processing both of those things at the same time. Aren't they? Aren't we? And like at the same point, like guys like you and me and Tannenwald and, and guys who cover the teams and whatnot, like it's not, we're, we're not like, it's not really about like, your feelings really we're just kind of here to tell it how it is and point out things that we think people might be overlooking or whatever um i, I don't you don't go and pull back the curtain and show the human element that people don't see when they watch the guys on the field and when they see them in whatever limited press conference or, or scrum availability um they get to see on tv I get, I get it like i understand like you try to be sensitive to like what fans are feeling or whatever and and try to like do like try not to be like insensitive to that at the same time. But I would also, I would also say like, I would also say like, why the hell do you like even care what I think anyway? Like if, if you're going to like, um, be mad at like one writer or one podcaster or one person who just like has a certain approach to a post game or whatever, like, don't like, don't like that. That's, you know, I'm one person with one opinion. Um, you know, if you like it, cool. If you don't like it, that's cool too. And, uh, you know, I'm just in that, in that case, I'm just trying to point something out that I feel, felt like people were overlooking a little bit. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I felt like the union, it wasn't trying to poo poo the union. It was just saying, look, you know, Toronto does have a better PPG right now. It's just a wonky kind of, kind of schedule thing. You know what I mean? The reason to answer Richard's question that Philly fans can't tell the difference between being critical and being negative is because Philly fans think they're smarter than they are which nobody ever wants to acknowledge. And Philly uh, fans are a lot more... What? Hold on. And Philly fans are a lot more emotional than they want people to but think But I think union are. fans are, are smarter than the fans of the 4 for 4 sports. No, and, I agree. And, and I, I, think agree the reason, I think the reason for that is because union fans, like as you well know, like don't have decades and decades of built up like bullshit sports radio negativity and manufactured outrage and like you didn't you didn't grow up like saying well we haven't won um you know a super bowl ever you know or we haven't won this ever like because the team's only been around for 10 years you know so that that of course as it goes on longer and longer that might start to stretch a little bit but um Philadelphia Union fans saw like the malaise that was kind of hanging over like the Flyers and the Eagles and all these other teams for many years. And I think because of that, they were they're Union fans. I just feel like are a little bit more educated and um, don't necessarily fall into as much of the knee jerk stuff. No, to to clarify, Union fans are smart. 
your Philadelphia 4 for 4 fan, typical Philadelphia 4 for 4 fan, is not as bright not as they so think smart, they are. Yeah. They're passionate, mm-hmm. but like their knowledge of Philadelphia sports is a mile wide and an inch deep. That's which a good mean, way to like, put it. As, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is uh, essentially like you can walk up to your typical Philadelphia sports caller 4 for 4 fan and they can tell you plenty about the Eagles and then when it gets to the Sixers they might say, "Well, uh Joel Embiid takes a lot of threes." Accurate. Well, why do you think he takes so many threes? Nothing. There there is no yeah, depth. It's just, it's it. a, it's a... why do the flyer why are the Flyers so bad? Oh, uh didn't they fire their coach? Good. We have knowledge. Do you know why they fired their coach? No. Well, like people like saying the good old people like doing the good old boy line with the Flyers, but like the the last coach that they hired uh, was from North Dakota, you know, had no ties to the organization. This one has no ties to the organization, you know. Mike Mike Yo and uh, and Terrian don't Michelle Terrian don't have any connection to it. So it's like I feel like I feel like Union fans, I guess I would say, are a little bit better at like critical thinking. And like going beyond that, like surface knee jerk emotion. I think I think the knee jerk emotional reaction does exist within the union fan base, but I think there's another layer on top of that where people are then able to kind of take a step back and say, okay, why this or why that? You know what I mean? Well, union union fans are also smarter because union fans, just by virtue of being soccer fans, have always had the need to one be able to explain the game that they're watching, yes. and two advocate on behalf of yes. the sport. And that's not something that you have to do if you're an Eagles fan or a Sixers yes. fan, even to some extent a Phillies fan or a Flyers fan. You don't need to know why everything happens. But if you're a soccer Bingo. fan, Bingo. you've got to be able to explain to any friend or family member who you might try to convince to go to a game why you've had are to spend like half are. of your existence justifying like why you like soccer and dealing with like all these anti whatever people. You know, I think that like steals Bingo. you mentally uh, when it comes to these kind of like myopic kind of near near cited takes and stuff like that you know because there 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 it took a level of depth to even survive as a soccer fan in philadelphia of all places you know for many years it's yeah. a very good point by you russ that's why i have you on the podcast um Thanks, andrew dylan says what beverage do you think was in that rogue uh starbucks cup uh, in the game of thrones episode <laughs> 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 what, the, what the hell well, was that if you man? remember if you remember there was um there was a whole thing about during the pilot episode there was a guy in the back. Uh, I think it was the actor who played Bucky in, um, in like the Avengers, uh, like the Marvel universe, and he's wearing jeans. And um, people were like, you know, it was a, an obvious oversight, but it, it ended up getting caught on to in like the last year or so. The Starbucks cup is just ridiculous. Like I, you know, I had somebody say to me, well, maybe it was because of the uh, the way that people were complaining so much about how dark the the uh, the Battle of Winterfell was, the Long Night. That maybe they threw that in there just to see if anybody was really paying attention. It's like, well, no, the show's been done for for quite a while now, so it wasn't that. It really was that Amelia Clark, who plays uh, Daenerys, was probably really tired and just needed her mocha frappa crappuccino. Yeah, I could uh, I could go for one of those right now. Sixers are stunned. Your life is over. You have a no, kid. No, right? My my yeah. Well, no, my life is not over, thankfully, but it's very um, it's very tiring, you know. Uh, I hit a mm. wall around four o'clock every day, um, so I'd be lying if I said that. Uh, well, let me just say this: I see positives and negatives to the Sixers winning and losing. You know what I mean? One gets me closer to the summer and more sleep, and one gets us more sight traffic. You know, so 
Um, yep. Okay, Union Hulk is checking in here in all caps. Oh, thank he you. says, is low attendance last week because of Philadelphia Union's first 10,000 fans get punched in the butt cheeks night? <laughs> did not catch on like they'd hoped. Also, do they still make Tab Cola that's sweet and tasty? And speaking of sweet and tasty, attendance will go up uh, if the Union sign a fancy player. Uh, and he's uh, got a gif of uh, Olivier Giroud here. No, but seriously, um, I tagged Tannenwald um, in the questions thing. Um, and so he got like linked to a bunch of this stuff. But John wrote a story about like why, you know, why is the attendance down if, if the team's winning? Um, it was basically like the gist of it. Like, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I think people are wary. You know, I think people are a little like, eh, I don't, you know, I've seen this movie before. I don't know if I want to jump back on board yet. Um, but it's still only May 7th. I think kids are still in school. Um, it's like prom season and shit, you know, like Memorial Day is coming up. Um, it's awful weather in the middle. It's been kind of weird. Yeah. The last two nights weren't really weren't that great. Like, I think that I think it'll open if they win. So they got Toronto on Saturday. Then they got three straight home games, Portland, Seattle, Colorado, uh, where they'll probably win at least two of those. And that'll take them into June. Um, and if they're top of the table or like top three in June, then then that place will fill up. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, by the way, we still want to do, we, we still want to do now that I think about it real quick. I'm sorry. Um, you did your like sons of Ben rant the last time. Um, I do want to get oh, the yeah. sons of Ben guys on the podcast. And at some point like this summer, we're going to do a, like what's up with the sons of Ben kind of dive into the, into that. I just saw a thing, uh, from a few weeks ago, speaking of the sons of Ben, somebody from the Hispanic community was, uh, I guess upset because they, they were like yelled at for, um, wearing, the national team jersey for their country of uh, like their family's country of origin, and I guess they got shouted down because they didn't wear like a union jersey, and it went back and forth. And then I, this I was know. in the I, ri- uh, the River Inn. I guess this so. past look, I just saw it. It just popped up on Twitter. It was from like a month ago. I was doing a search for something else and and came across this. Um, but it was like, look, there there was a way to do it. Um, I, I think the fact that Marco Fabian has kind of shown a, a lot of light on. The fact that like the Hispanic community has kind of felt ostracized from, you know, what this team is and, and they really don't feel like they're part of the fan base. Like you do a job as a as a supporter section to get those people in and to make them feel, yeah, I think so. you know, I think welcome. So. Yeah. And, it, and, and uh, you know, it, for a lot of these people, um, I mean, I, I'm be honest and I know that I've said it a million times. Sons of Ben need some new chance. It wouldn't be a bad thing to have, you know, a, a contingent of Latino fans to come up with a few chants, to morph a few songs, a few chants, and make them about, you know, Fabian, or about some of these other guys. And, like, I think it'd be good to kind of tap into it. It's an energy that, quite frankly, the River End's been missing for a mm-hmm. long time. And if you're able to infuse that with supporters, it doesn't matter if, if they're white or if they're black or they're Latino. Like, ultimately, as long as you're able to get people who are passionate about the team and welcome more people in and fill in the river end, then you're going to start to have that home field advantage you need. Yeah. So I don't think it really should matter. I think there's an element. It just looked like some of the reaction to it was kind of I think of there's bummer. an element of it, too, where I kind of wonder, like, I wonder why, uh, I don't know, maybe I should walk this back. Maybe I need to think about this take before I do it. Um, we have that take rule. Oh, I can't think, I can't, I have to say it if I'm going to do it. Well, I, I think the pro, I, I, it's one thing to, for the union to go out into Hispanic, you know, communities and say like, "Hey, we want to include you. Like, we want you to be part of this. Like, you know, we value your opinions and your fandom. We want you to be part of this community." You know, 
Um, I, and I don't think they're doing a good, I, I would assume they're not doing a good enough job of that, like getting into the city and like getting up there, like Huntington Avenue, Northeast Philly, like Juniata and up, up north of there and saying like, Hey, you know, come down. This is your city too. You know, we're all part of this. We're all one big thing, you know? So come down here. We, we do value, um, you as a customer and a fan and, and a community member. But I also think there's another side of it too, where, where members of those communities also have to be open to the local team in general. Like I don't, I, I don't, I can't speak from the perspective of a minority. Okay. I'm a white kid who grew up in the suburbs. Right. So I don't know what it's like to not be represented in something. You know what I mean? Like every team that I've ever yep. watched growing yep. up, there's been a white dude playing for him. Right. Okay. So yep. now I can say that like, I don't feel like I need to watch I don't feel like there needs to be a white dude from the Pennsylvania suburbs on a team for me to enjoy that team. Um, like don't take this the wrong way. Like I don't, I'm, I'm admitting to you up front that like, I don't have the experience of looking at this from a minority viewpoint, right? I'm just telling you the viewpoint that I have. Right. Um, like I watch a basketball team has five black dudes. Like what the fuck do I care? You know, if they're, you know, represent Philadelphia and they're wearing a Philadelphia shirt, that's fine. That's, that's cool with me. I'm sure it's cool for a lot of people. So I think part of it too, I do think it's a two way street in the sense that like, we need you guys to get on board. You know what I mean? Like we're all out here watching dudes from different countries, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. We have a Bosnian dude on the field. We have a Jamaican dude on the field. We have a dude from media on the field. Now we do have a Mexican international on the field. Like I think the union of, uh, roster, uh, is very f- wide ranging and very diverse, you know? So I feel like number one, it's on the union. I think it's more, more than anything. The union has to go out there and has to market to these people and say, Hey, you are welcome here. We want you to be a part of this, but there also has to be a willingness on the other end too. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I don't, and I don't think that's insensitive of me to say that, but I think, you know, you can certainly have, if you, if your team is club America or something like that, that's, that's fine. But you know, also come down and watch the union. It's, it's not really, yeah. there's also a parallel that you could say that there's like people who have their European team that won't fucking come down to Chester too, you know? So I think that's, I think it's on everybody yeah. to like kind of reciprocate that, but it has to start with the union reaching out to them and saying, Hey, we value you. Look, if you're in the river end and somebody comes in and they're wearing, you know, a Columbia national team Jersey and they've got their union scarf. Like, I don't yeah, think cool. that's an issue. Yeah, cool. And apparently, as as per something I saw on Twitter, it looked like there were there had been people who were taking issue with that. Again, I will bring up the same anecdote I brought up from years ago when I was a season ticket holder, and that was the capo in my section wore a Boston Red Sox hat as a capo against the New England Revolution, and his excuse was his grandfather was a Boston Red Sox fan. Now I will take exception to that because they were playing New England that day. Otherwise, it wouldn't. Yeah, care. I mean, you can get all into but, the weeds with that like, shit. I just feel like we've we've this yeah. city's been burned with so many like cockroach fucking cowboy fans and stuff like that. That I think that we're like rightfully maybe a little bit more sensitive to it than other stuff. Like I have my problem with like white suburban kids like myself who I can identify with, who I know have n- no fucking connection to Chelsea, who will wear a Chelsea jersey, but they won't come down to see the Philadelphia union play like that. I can relate to, I cannot relate to the Hispanic community in Philadelphia. I would like to assume that it would also have to be a two way street, but I don't know. That's different thought for another time. Maybe. Hmm. Um, Okay. So let's just rip through these real quick. If you don't mind. Um, Cause the Sixers are going to start like a half hour. Oh, and I just saw that Embiid uh, just left the court 
didn't take many jump shots and uh, body language not, not good. good. Right, well, we can I can write five stories about that tomorrow. Uh, what the hell is Curtin doing with his lineups? A common Santos still not starters. Free starting ever Coronel a few games back. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, one of the problems about having depth is that it's a lot harder to identify what your best eleven is. You know, I mean, you could say that Jim didn't really have many problems picking who his best guys were over the years. You know, um, yep. good problem to have though. Um, yeah, the Freese and Coronel thing, I think Tannenwald pointed out that that was a green car, or an international slots thing, I want to say. I could be wrong, though. Um, mm-hmm. uh, John Crisafi always asks pretty good questions. Um, thoughts on the goals by committee approach? Uh, it would seem more difficult to game plan against uh, if you have multiple finishers, including uh, <laughs> Jack Elliott, the Revolution Slayer, popping up from time to time. But that also requires that at least someone steps up every game to score. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I mean, I guess it's just like I said, you know, it's a risk. Like, you know, you have five good strikers, but like if, if I had to, if you, if I gave you those five strikers and I said, pick the one who is most likely to score today, who would you pick? Say if I again? gave you the five strikers that are available right now to start, which one do you think is most likely to score a goal? I would go with Santos yeah. right now. Right, I mean, like you could make a, you could make a, you could make depend, an argument that all on, five of those guys are worth a start, but uh, you know, I, I think Santos probably has the best nose for goal and is going to run through a wall for you. Then probably a calm just because of his pedigree, and then maybe Shabal Shabal Kabal Balco, because he can. Uh, Bad Andre wants to know: um, Do the twelve-year-olds attending today's games with their families? Will they? Uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me try reading this again. Are the twelve-year-olds attending games with their families today? The cult-following diehards of tomorrow. Positive answers only. Yes, yes, I believe that a hundred percent. Because look, it's twenty nineteen right now. This is the tenth year of the union. So if you are uh, in in year number one, if you took your kid to see Sebastian Latou score three goals against the the against DC United when he was ten, uh, that kid is twenty years old now. Okay, in five years he might have a kid. And that kid will then watch Sergio Santos score a freaking goal or, or whoever, right? So, yes, it's a generational thing. I think like everybody – I remember when my dad took me down to the 1995 Stanley Cup playoffs, and I remember the Sabres and the Flyers. And, like, those those are impressionable moments on you that, that shape your fandom. Um, okay. Uh, Tallahassee Union are always good to us, so I'll rip through their questions real quick. Um, how much of a setback will not having Aronson available uh, be to the team this weekend? I don't think I don't think much, especially if Fabian's good to go. I don't know if he is. Uh, if the Union are awarded a penalty kick, who steps up to the spot? I give it to. That's what I was saying before. Like it, it, it really depends. Like Santos, I give it to Santos, with, man. Uh, like I would think Santos about it, yeah. podcast, the Sergio Santos. The only reason that you don't give it to Santos is if you're trying to get somebody's confidence. We all gush about Trusty and McKenzie, but is Elliot the best center back on the team? Yes, he might be. Um, I do think Trusty's going to get there. Yeah, and not it shouldn't it won't be that long. Um, Is Montero what we wanted Noguera to be? Uh, No, no. Vince Noguera was an excellent player. Um, Defensively, he was not what Montero is, but Montero doesn't have Noguera's like passing range and field switching ability. Different systems. I wonder if he's. Oh, I almost, I almost said something that was maybe not supposed to be repeated about Vincent Nagara. Matt says, "How many viewers will Philly Lone Star versus Reading United have on ESPN Plus?" Uh, I will be one of them, uh, hopefully, um, because I'm very interested to see. uh, Well, I'll explain that later. Um, What do you think about? Oh, here we'll end with this one. Um, what do you think about the idea of a drinking game where you have to take a sip every time Harris points to a spot on the field? I think we'd all be dead. 
that would that game would kill more people than episode three of game of thrones (laughs) if i was drinking like a like a 2.5 percent like grapefruit if you drank miller light and played that game you would die (laughs) i know because you would have the first time you try to build up out of the back i mean it, it, the ball would go left to right, so that's one. That's two points, right? That's two sips. You'd probably have to get like a uh, like a thirty pack. Do you remember when the uh, the PennDOT construction workers unionized and had the commercial that was like, "And if you hit me at sixty miles per hour, I will die. I will die. I yeah. will die." We need to repurpose that for if I had to take a sip every time that Harris Medunian and pointed to someone on the field. <laughs> I would die. I would die. Um, I would die. Let's wrap it up with that. There were a ton of questions. I, I, as always, I appreciate everybody's questions. I'll try to get to all of them the next time. Um, but um, yeah, no, there's a lot of people wanted to, uh, wanted to know about the Philadelphia union, the first place Philadelphia union. Uh, and uh, you know, maybe they were cautiously getting back on the, on the bandwagon here and the stands will be full sooner rather than later. Um, but we got to go because the Sixers are going to start soon. Russ, thanks for jumping on, my man. Um, you want to plug uh, Crossing Broad uh, FC? Well, look, it's uh, it's really simple. Crossing Broad FC, as I've mentioned before, is the only Philadelphia-based uh, international football podcast. And uh, we will be doing an episode, I believe, Thursday night for a Friday release. That will be myself and Phil Kaidel will be covering the, uh, the Champions League as, uh, well, you know, the way that today went. Um, Liverpool advances, and we'll see how Ajax and Tottenham goes. But we will uh, recap that. We'll recap all of the uh, the weekend's action in the domestic leagues. And um, we have our 20-point rule instituted. So any league that uh, currently has a 20-point gap between first and second, we refuse to talk about. So I've been bringing up the uh, the J1 league. So that's uh, Japan. So uh, that's that's been really riveting programming out of Crossing Broad FC. But of course, Crossing Broad FC, just like It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia and all other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network are now available on Spotify. I um, would like to end the podcast by giving a shout out to uh, my former uh, podcast partner, Greg Orlandini of the KYW Philly Soccer Show, who uh, got married uh, this past weekend, right? He got married, not engaged. Yes, he got married because his wife's name now has Orlandini written in it. So <laughs> congratulations. To I couldn't tell what he was posting at first. Was, I, I didn't imagine if that was part of the engagement process is the woman has to take your, your last name to prove that she's committed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to make sure. I yeah. bought you this ring. You that take my name. That goes in the prenup too, that your name goes back to what it used to be before. But um, congrats mm. to uh, Greg uh, and uh, Amanda on their marriage. And uh, yeah, that'll wrap it up uh, for us, for Russ. Um, Baxter the dog, uh, my daughter Cameron, who is indeed a female, and we'll get the notary to send that in and get that corrected. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we are still working on. A, I, I will be efforting a live podcast sometime this summer, so stand by for details of that. All right, thank you, everybody. Peace. <laughs>